Oh, hey, hello! Oh, can somebody go refill the veggie platter for Gloria? If she gets her carrots, we'll get ours, you know? You want that gold party favor just as much as I do. Today, we'll be looking into someone who worked on 1,131 movies, working very hands-on with 13 out of our 17 guests. I hope you're wearing your best outfit. Why wouldn't you? This is a party. If you're not, Edith Head will let you know. Grab a drink and join the party. Claire Posner was born October 28, 1897 in San Bernardino to Anne Levy and Max Posner, who were maybe not actually married. Max owned a haberdashery shop that didn't do too well. Her parents were of Austrian and Bavarian descent and were Jewish, which thoroughly embarrassed Edith. Her parents separated and her mom actually married Frank Spare, who was Catholic, so Edith claimed to be very strict in that regard. Edith liked to stretch the truth in her life story. Personally, I don't mind that she stretches the truth. It's Hollywood. You can totally recreate yourself. Not a problem. But other people did not like it. She felt that she had more control, but in reality, people just wanted her to say what really happened. Her stepdad, Frank, was a minor, so they traveled all over the place. She lived in Mexico for a while and knew fluent Spanish, Nevada, Illinois, New York. When they made it back to California, Edith's education was really lacking. So her mom got her a tutor so she could finish up high school. Her stepdad said to her, Edith, my girl, you're no beauty. If you're going to get anywhere in this world, it will be because of your brains. Why do people do that? Do they think people who aren't conventionally pretty or have gained weight or whatever are not aware of what they're working with? Like, shut up, Frank. In 1919, she graduated from Berkeley, and then in 1920, she got her master's in romantic language from Stanford. She came back to LA to teach at the Hollywood School for Girls. This is the same school that Cecilia DeMille and Irene Mayer went to. Cecilia remembered Edith as a great French teacher, fun and full of energy. Back then, teachers were not paid in the summertime, so she had to figure something out. She started taking art classes and she was really good at scenery. One of her classmates set Edith up with her brother because he, Charles Head, was irresponsible and Edith wasn't pretty. Like match made in heaven, right? What the hell? Okay, so Edith had to start wearing glasses when she was eight because she was cross-eyed and because of moving around a lot, her teeth were really bad. Like she was missing all of her front teeth. This is why she rarely smiles in photos, even after she got them fixed. Charles Head was a traveling salesman, which was a decent job in the 1920s, so he and Edith got to know each other through letters. He was tall, smart, and charming. All of that came through in the letters, but what he failed to note was he was a drunk. They got married in July of 1923, and she really did love him, and being married helped her gain some confidence. Because the Hollywood School for Girls was progressive, she was allowed to keep her job after being married because most teachers did not have that privilege. 
Paramount was hiring assistant costume designers, but Edith didn't know how to draw people. So she went to her art college, some of her friends let her sign her name to their work and take it with her to the studio for her interview. She got the job and her boss, Howard Greer, figured out she was lying, but she had a super hard work ethic and he didn't see her as a threat, so he kept her. Howard Greer started working with Lady Lucy Duff Gordon, Eleanor Glenn's sister. Then he stayed in Paris after World War I ended to work in fashion some more before coming back to America and getting into the movies. He was the one who designed for Gloria Swanson when DeMille got a hold of her. This was DeMille's take on fashion. I want clothes that will make people gasp when they see them. I don't want to see any clothes anybody can possibly buy in the store. Paramount had less costumes in stock than MGM or any other studio because Edith was very good at recycling garments to avoid expenses from making new ones. Also, most of the seamstresses were Spanish-speaking, but none of the head designers spoke Spanish. So Edith did, and that was a really big reason why she was never laid off during the Great Depression. She worked seven days a week in the beginning because one, she liked it, two, because it kept her mind off of her drunk-ass husband, who was definitely cheating on her while he was on the road. She would eventually try to erase him from her story, saying Head was her maiden name. That didn't work. People at the studio met her husband. So she would say that she and Charles were only married briefly. They were actually married for 13 years. Early black and white films were done in orthochromatic and looked really dark. When they changed to panochromatic, people were able to see different shades of gray on the screen. This is when Edith started wearing her blue lens glasses. She had four different frames that went from pale blue to super dark like you could not even see through them. Those were her favorite pair because it covered up her cross-eyed and she didn't have to look people in the face. She pretty much always wore those, at least up until the 1960s when her doctor was like, you need to stop, you legit can't see with them. When Travis Banton started working at Paramount, Greer somehow did not see him as a threat, at least until all of Greer's starlets started asking for Banton to design their gowns. Travis had worked for Robert Kolick, who was best known for early rom-com fashions, like he did It Happened One Night, Awful Truth, His Girl Friday. Banton taught Edith his flowy, whimsical way of sketching, and that's pretty much the way she did it for the rest of her career. Greer ended up leaving and opening up a couture shop in Beverly Hills that was known for wedding gowns, so Banton took over. Since Greer and Batten both trusted her, she got to dress a lot of the leading ladies. Like at Paramount, the stars got the head designers. Edith would get leading ladies, which is definitely different than a star. She told a story of fitting Lupe Velez one day, and this was when Lupe was right in the middle of her affair with Gary Cooper. She brought him to the fitting and apparently got really bored and just started grabbing his junk right in front of Edith. Hello? I guess, speaking of junk, in the 1930s, Edith had two affairs while she was still married to Charles. One was to writer Bayard Velier. I probably totally butchered that name, but whatever, he was not a babe. She did, however, do three pictures with him, and he helped get her a higher salary and her first screen credit. No one knows who the second affair was, so damn it. In 1933, she worked on Cradle Song with her future second husband, Wired Bill Enan. What is with these effing names today? Bill did not have the work ethic that Edith did. He said, I just want to get out of there in the afternoon, go home and shave and get ready for my date. That said, he did win back-to-back Oscars in 1944 and 1945, so he knew what he was doing. His specialty was Spanish and Mexican decor, and because Edith was kind of raised in Mexico, they really connected over that. They were friends at first, Bill would call her and ask for advice on what he should wear at his dates. Charles Head, who was out of work because of the Great Depression, tried to get back on Edith's good side, but they ended up divorcing in 1938. She would tell people he died in World War II. He did not. He went back to traveling sales, but I am unable to find a grave for him, so 
who knows what happened to him. She and Bill were married in Las Vegas in 1940. She never wanted kids and never got pregnant, so that's that. With her new contract, Paramount paid for her to go to New York every six months to check out fashions. Only Banton ever got to do that. Banton was a big time drunk. Like he would not come back from lunch or Edith would have to find him riding on the trolleys up and down the street because he's just drunk, hanging out. Sometimes he wouldn't even come into work. So he was just a hot mess and totally responsible for his own departure at Paramount. He wanted a raise in 1937. The studio said no. So he left and worked at Greer's store. That didn't work out because uh, drunk. So he went to work in New York for Hattie Carnegie and finally came back to LA and worked at Fox for less than what he was getting at Paramount. Edith was scared shitless of Claudette Colbert. Claudette's mother knew how to design and stitch super high-end fashions, and Claudette trained to do the same thing, but got into acting instead. So she was a really tough person to please. One time, Edith was fitting her with a special collar, like Claudette needed the illusion of having a longer neck, and Claudette ripped it off and threw it on the ground. Anytime she had to work with Edith, she would go get fitted by Irene at her salon at Bullock's Wilshire. Edith said she really resented that. Apparently Claudette thought Edith was pushing Banton out of Paramount and found out the truth in the 1970s about Banton being a drunk and wanted to make amends. Edith said that woman was a bitch and a dyke to boot. So I'm guessing that was a no to making up. Let's grab a little quick refill, maybe another carrot, and uh, I'll be right back. The first time Edith really made her mark was while dressing Dorothy L'Amour. Edith really helped popularize the sarong style of dresses that started in the late 1930s. Betty Davis, who had never worked with Edith, requested her to be loaned out because she hated working with Ori Kelly so much. Apparently, he didn't care to support her bust properly, and Betty had some tigo biddies, so Edith was always really careful to not bring attention to them. Mostly because Edith also was big busted, but wore a compression bra to hide it. The only real competition Edith ever had was with a lady named Mary Kay Dodson. She was a model who worked at Irene's salon at Bullock's, and then she came to work at Paramount. She almost took over Edith's job, but she was designing Lucille Ball's wedding dress for her second wedding, the church one, to Desi. She went to their wedding and met the man she would marry and moved to New York, so no competition. Edith did not win the very first Oscar for costume design, but she won the second one. That was for the heiress. Over the years, designers like Jean Louise and Walter Plunkett both won one time, and Helen Rose and Ori Kelly won twice. Edith won eight Academy Awards. There are photos of her with all of her Oscars and they're amazing. You can tell she's just thinking, yeah, eight, and I'm a woman, suck on it. The year she did Sunset Boulevard, she also did All About Eve. And that came to be only because Betty Davis was filming at RKO, which is right next door to Paramount. The costume designer from Fox didn't want to drive all the way down to RKO every day to meet with Betty for fittings. So he's like, yeah, go ahead, Edith, knock yourself out, dummy. She won an Oscar for that. And again, in this case, is All About Eve better than Sunset Boulevard? I don't know, it's kind of up to you. Edith did say, you don't design for Gloria Swanson, you design with her. So definitely backing up what Gloria said last week. One of Edith's assistants recalled what it was like to go to a producer's meeting with Edith. The show she put on was priceless. These guys were earning four times her salary, and after she gave them so much double talk, they were so thoroughly confused, but that way they could never come back to her with the dresses, which were all made up, and complain about anything. Yeah, that's basically what it's like as a woman working for men. You just have to confuse them to get what you want. 
Paramount. Also, the entire time she was at Paramount, she only made $950 a week. When Travis Banton quit in 1937, he was making $1,200 a week. And he didn't win any awards. This is some bullcrap. So I'm sure most people have seen sketches of Edith's work. Those were not done by her. They were done by her assistant, Grace Sprague. She did all of them up until I Can Go On Singing with Judy Garland. Grace was then killed in a car accident and it took Edith a really long time to replace her. So in addition to taking credit for all of those sketches, she totally took credit for the Givenchy dresses Audrey Hepburn wore in Sabrina. Like she won an Oscar for them and she got away with it because Givenchy wasn't shit yet. But fast forward to Funny Face and and the credits say, Edith Head, New York attire, Givenchy, Paris fashions. I know a lot of people have issues with the fact that the sketches weren't totally done by Edith, but she's the one who does all the little tweaks to make these pieces the perfect numbers that we all wanna wear. She would be the first one to tell you that she's not a designer. She could not think of things on her own because she was working from a script. She would actually read the scripts. They were her blueprint. That's why she loved working with Hitchcock because he would put what colors he wanted the characters to wear noted in the script. Her favorite film ever was To Catch a Thief and her favorite person to dress was Grace Kelly because you, how are you gonna mess that up, man? Like you gotta put her in a potato sack to make her even look homely. Besides Claudette Colbert, Edith never really said anything bad about a star because she said, I might have to work with them again. Even after Judy Garland died, she would not say a bad word about her because what if she had to dress Liza? It's pretty smart. In 1951, she and Bill bought a Spanish-style home that used to be Betty Davis's. They called it Casa Ladera. Bill totally took over the household management, decorated it beautifully, and he put in a kitchenette next to Edith's bedroom. They slept in separate rooms because Bill snored really bad. He would wake up every day at 4 a.m. to make Edith coffee and chit-chat before the phones really started going nuts. They seemed to actually have a really genuine and sweet relationship, which is refreshing. This is also the same house that Liz Taylor retreated to after she broke up with Richard Burton the second time. Edith didn't move out, like she was still in the house. Liz Taylor just came over and stayed for a few weeks. The house is located in Coldwater Canyon, and yes, it is still there. If you've ever seen the documentary Bright Lights, it was Carrie Fisher's home, and it now belongs to her daughter, Billy. In 1957, Edith wrote a best-selling book called The Dress Doctor, and she became a very popular guest for radio and TV. Her whole thing was find the good qualities and hide the rest, so she would give advice on how to hide it. I linked a video on my blog of her talking in the 1980s, and she showed really simple and easy ways to put a look together that would probably still work today. When Gulf and Western took over Paramount, she knew it was time to go. So she followed Hitchcock over to Universal. Apparently, she would even give fashion shows to Universal Studio Tours. Why don't they do that now? I'll take an impersonator. Come on. Universal did not renew her contract, but kept her on as needed. She did some museum shows and got a facelift in the 70s, even had a cameo on Columbo. It's the episode with Ann Baxter. Edith happens to be the godmother to Ann's daughter. I think my favorite contribution to TV that she made was designing Agnes Moorhead's costumes on Bewitched. They're awesome. Bill passed away from cancer in 1979. Edith had a rare bone marrow cancer that she told no one about when she agreed to work on the film Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. She ended up dying a few weeks later in 1981 from this cancer. She and Bill are interred at Forest Lawn Glendale with markers. On a spooky note, I've seen a few ghost hunter shows that say she haunts the Paramount costume department. I'd be okay with her haunting me. What's the worst she could do? Hide my awful clothes from me? All right. 
I know her story wasn't very long, but she worked with so many people, like almost 100% of our guests, that I figured we need to get to know her. She's going to pop in and out in even more people's stories. So should we invite her to our party? Edith said the only time movie stars ever called her is when they wanted something and no one ever invited her to parties. That's not cool. Like how snobby of them. Sure, she might not give you a straight answer if you're talking to her about herself, but honestly, I can't see any reason why Edith should not be invited to a party. So she'll definitely be coming to ours. Thanks for listening to Hollywood Party. For more information about this episode, head over to hollywoodpartypodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. If you like the show, tell every single person you know. Like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Anchor or whatever you're using to listen to us. See you next week. That's that noisy girl.